Dear God, being that you are a loving and gracious Lord, I pray that as we come to your word now, we would receive it with humble and open hearts. Thank you, Father, for this delivering truth to us out of your love, that we might bring you glory in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 11. We are in the Blessed Gospel of Mark, continuing on. Mark chapter 11. Our sermon title today is The Question of Authority. And a simple definition of authority might be helpful. And it's basically the power or right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. That's straight from the Oxford Languages Dictionary. The power or right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. The late Bill Clem was one of Major League Baseball's most renowned and powerful umpires. This was like a hundred years ago that he was alive and umpiring in the major leagues. When he was behind the plate, he made it clear that he was completely in charge of the balls and the strikes and everything that happened in the game. In one particularly important game, it came down to the ninth inning, a last inning, last chance. The batter hits the ball to left field, the runner on third runs for home base with a potential winning run, the catcher crouches down to make the tag, and the runner, the catcher, and the umpire all collide and were laid out in the dirt. From one dugout, the players are screaming, he's safe, he's safe. And the other dugout, of course, saying, he's out, he's out. And the fans in the stands are going wild. In the midst of all this confusion and noise, Bill Clem stands up, he looks directly into the stands, he raises his fist and exclaims, he ain't nothing till I've called it. Bill Clem made it clear that everyone had to submit to his authority. Now there are God-given authorities in the world, and this applies to all people, and it's for people and society and the world to flourish as God designed it, and according to his word. Again, the definition of authority, the power or right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. So most of you are aware of these categories, but let me just briefly summarize them. And if you read 1 Peter 2, it covers like almost all of them. But when you go to the rest of scripture, it does cover all of them. And society, what authority do we have in society but government? And all the levels of government, right? Governors, mayors, presidents, kings, policemen, um, everyone. And government over citizens. Work, work, we have employers, bosses, who are over employees, workers. At home, this is a very controversial one, but we have husbands over wives, right? And there's explanation to all of this, but broadly, categorically, okay? parents over children, in a little bit more direct way. That's in the home. How about in the church? Pastors, elders have authority over church members. And I'll add this one, which is not specifically in the scriptures, but for those of you who are students, school or college, right? We have teachers and professors who have authority. At least they have some power over students, or at least they used to. And for the most part, 
today, they still do, right? They're in control of your grave, okay? if nothing else. So, these earthly authorities are all under the umbrella of God and His heavenly, sovereign authority over all the earth. He's the source, the ruler who has put these earthly powers in place. And again, it's for our good. It's for our good. I think we've observed the denigration of society as people have not adhered in recent decades to authorities that God has placed in life, these very authorities that are very clear in Scripture, which I just very briefly summarized. In whatever area it is, go down the list. Whether it's society and government, okay, not um, respecting that authority, or in the workplace, okay, those of you who are in the workplace and you have fellow workers who don't um, just honor and obey the, the bosses, okay, it doesn't make for a, a happy work environment. Right? At home, when there's, there's not submission there in, in the relationship, in the marriage, when there's not honor and obedience from kids to, to, to parents, it's not a happy home. In the church, when the church members have no regard for the authority of the pastors and elders, it's not a good, good place to be. And, and so on. So this concept of authority has been eroding in America uh, throughout this last generation or so. And I share this with you at risk of sounding like a, a grumpy old person. But the 1960s sexual revolution, after that happened, um, somehow or some way, things just quickly started to crumble uh, on a spiritual and moral level, as far and, and um, in, in other areas as well. Rebellion against God, and rebellion, by the way, just defining that is the action or process of resisting authority, control, or convention. And this is what has happened in society over the last several decades. The action or process of resisting authority, control, or convention. And so this rebellion against what God has ordered has characterized pop culture, music, media, arts, into academia, into what kids are learning in college and in, in schools. The culture at large, society, is not the better for it. Society today is not the better for this rebellion that has happened. And one could argue that the offspring of this rebellion is the self-entitlement, victimization, cancel culture children of today's world. Sadly, not only is any of this not better for society in general, but it's not for the good of individual people. So we're in Mark 11 today. The sermon title again is The Question of Authority. It's maybe a bit of a, a challenging text for us, and even into next Sunday, because this passage actually continues into Mark chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, and Jesus is speaking to the same people and he's teaching a parable. But we might consider today's passage, verses 27 to 33 in Mark 11, as kind of a part one. So just be prepared. I mean, the theme is this, folks. Those who refuse to acknowledge and embrace Jesus' authority over their lives will be silenced, exposed, and put to shame. And I, I, I couldn't put that in a nicer way. That's, that's basically what it's, it's saying. This is the big idea today. And next week, those who refuse to acknowledge and embrace Jesus' authority over their lives will be silenced, exposed, and put to shame. Right? So we want to we point to 
good news out of all this, but um, we need to start where it starts. So let's read the text. If you can stand, if you're able to stand, I'm going to read these next seven verses. Mark 11, starting in verse 27, we're going to verse 33 today. This is the word of God. They came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him and began saying to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do these things? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, and you answer me, and then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. They began reasoning among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, then why did you not believe him? But shall we say from men? They were afraid of the people, for everyone considered John to have been a real prophet. Answering Jesus, they said, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Maybe see them. So to help us uh, organize our thoughts and, and work our way through the passage, we have four, four points. And the main just kind of statement here is that rejectors of Jesus' authority are silenced. We see that's what ha- what's happened here. And it's going to, like I said, continue on to next week. And everyone, anyone who refuses to acknowledge Jesus' authority over their lives will be silenced. And so this starts with, who are these chief priests, scribes, elders? They're basically unbelievers, and they're not believers in Jesus. They're religious people, but they don't have faith in Christ. And so our first point here is that unbelievers challenge the Lord's authority. Unbelievers challenge the Lord's authority. I have an insert today. That's the blank. Okay? They came again in the temple. Jesus and the twelve are back in the big city, Jerusalem. This is the day after the temple cleansing, remember? And after his teaching about the power of faith, power of prayer and the power of forgiveness as they're going. So we're on Tuesday of Passion Week. Some people say Wednesday, including Pastor John MacArthur. I won't go into the details on that. I think it's Tuesday. But whatever day it is, Jesus goes right back to the temple. It's the scene of his intensely righteous anger at what was going on in his father's house, which he just condemned, if you remember. So he's going back to the scene of the crime, so to speak. The Jewish religious leaders were not happy with what he was doing and teaching. It was a stern rebuke and condemnation of their leadership. So these chief priests, scribes, and elders come to him. Who are these men? Well, they made up the leadership of this group of men called the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin, S-A-N-H-E-D-R-I-N. This was the official ruling body of 70 members, 71 if you include the high priest. This was the Jewish high court. They possessed both political and religious authority in Israel. And they were the big boys. They had enormous power in the Jewish society. And they functioned as like a go-between with the Roman government and the Jewish people. 
As the ones in authority, they were highly sensitive to anyone who could threaten their power. And Jesus was and is and has been that threat. These so-called leaders have been plotting against Jesus for some time now, as you've seen throughout Mark's Gospel. They didn't appreciate Jesus' teachings, his miracles, and of course not his rebukes. His actions at the temple and subsequent teachings that followed were not welcomed in the least. And I want us to understand something too, that that, uh, a few Sundays ago when Jesus stops the, the practices and the profiteering and all the stuff that's going on in the temple stopping people from going through. Um, this affected the bottom line for these very men, the Sanhedrin. And as rulers of the temple, they stood to lose money from Jesus' actions from the day before. And mind you, these are the very religious rulers who are supposed to be guarding the temple worship. They're supposed to be making sure it is pure and acceptable to God and that even the Gentiles would have an opportunity to come and pray to the one true God. And so they're furious. They're furious at Jesus because their power and their prophets are now being threatened. And surely Jesus must be stopped. At this point, they are they're literally hell-bent on destroying him. And it's, and it's time. The whole next chapter deals with their schemes and, and loaded questions to get Jesus in trouble, which will come to pass soon because Jesus' time to die had arrived. And so these guys, the powerful Sanhedrin, they're fuming, they're fearless, they're fruitless. They come to the temple asking him, by what authority are you doing these things, or who gave you this authority to do these things? What right, what authority do you have driving people out of the temple turning these tables over, stopping our business, halting people from coming through the temple here? Who gave you the the power to do such things? As in, uh, uh, we are the spiritual leaders, and we're the rulers of the synagogue. We are the authorities. How dare you? If you go to the parallel passage of Matthew chapter 21, it seems to emphasize more the teaching that Jesus is doing the subsequent day. And so Jesus is likely continuing to teach on the the wrongness uh, of their worship and the right way to worship. He's probably continuing to call out the wrongs of this financial, commercial prophet from God's house of prayer. So, as I read the text, and we hear these Sanhedrin men asking Jesus this question, I think it's easy to miss this very simple thing. These so-called leaders are talking to someone. And they're talking to the Lord Jesus, the King of the Jews, the, the King of all kings, the promised one, the Messiah, Savior, God in the flesh. And, and they're asking him, who on earth made you the boss? They had no idea. This is utter pride spiritual blindness, self-righteousness, as in, I'm right and I can't be wrong. You know why? Because because I'm right. And on the most important topic of all, the most important priority of all, which is worship of God, asking, who gave you authority to teach on these things? They think somehow that, that they had it right 
and Lord Jesus had it wrong. So, so they ask him, who are you? Implication of the text is, uh, isn't this what all unbelievers do? And it's what I did when I was an unbeliever many years ago. They question, they doubt, they reject the authority of God over their lives. They reject the authority of Jesus Christ. In a sense, they're doing what the Sanhedrin are doing here. They have this authoritative religious group of men asking Jesus, who do you think you are telling us how to worship, telling us how to live? Who put you in charge of our lives? So it's like an unbeliever. If there are any unbeliever, unbelieving people here today, you're asking Lord Jesus, who put you in charge of my life? Amen. People don't want an authority over their lives. They want to be the authority. So they question the Bible. They question and even accuse the God of the Bible of wrongdoing. Knowingly or unknowingly, they're questioning and accusing Jesus Christ of wrongdoing rather than looking at themselves or the sin of mankind. That's how many people treat the Lord Jesus these days. And we need to be careful about questioning the authority of God. And we need to be careful about questioning the authority, specifically of Jesus Christ. So I ask, are you one of the majority of people who are rejecting Jesus' authority over your life? Or perhaps, perhaps you're here this morning, you're claiming to be a Christian, but you've turned Jesus into nothing more than a good example to live by. And maybe even the, the best example you would call him the best example. My guiding light. I think recently passed, Queen Elizabeth might have said something like that. I don't know the status of her faith or not. I, I would hope that, that she's in heaven right now. But um, she talked a lot like that. Uh, Jesus is a good example. The best example even. I mean, yes, he's our example, but the question is this. Are you minimizing his authority over your life? As you consider that, let's look at his next response to these unbelieving, righteous, religious, not righteous, but religious leaders. Verses 29 and 30b is, the Lord asserts his authority. The Lord asserts his authority. It says there in verse 29, and Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, and you answer me. Then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. And the verse 30 says, answer me. We know that Jesus was never rude, never prideful, never obnoxious. But as the rightful Lord, he quickly sets the record straight here. I'm the one to ask the questions. And I'll answer you graciously. But first, I'll ask you. And by the way, this was actually customary of rabbis sometimes to answer questions with another question. And it was sometimes just the way that they interacted. But part of Jesus' reply comes with a command, and that's what we can't miss. He says it twice. And you answer me. At the end of verse 30, he says it again. Answer me. So, context once again. And Jesus knows that his hour had come. He was to be crucified 
at the end of this very week. His sacrificial death, his drinking from the cup of God's wrath being poured out on him against man's sin, it was coming, it was time. So here he might be pressing the issue a bit, not in a foolhardy, reckless way, but very aware that the, the wheels, the, the machinations leading to his crucifixion were churning. He will soon lay down his life for sinners. But before that, he's confronting these religious authorities with the truth. He's exposing their error, calling out their sin, their evil, in love. He's full of grace and truth, John 1, 14. And in doing so, he asserts his authority over them and says, you answer me. Let it be known, Jesus has been claiming and exercising authority all along, which we've been studying in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus has authority within himself as the Son of God, and he has authority from the Father, as he's stated in the other Gospels many times. But just quickly looking at what we've been through in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 22, he's, he has authority in the way that he taught so that the people were dumbstruck, they were amazed. In Mark 1.27, after he cast out the demon, it shows his authority to drive out supernatural beings, evil, wicked demons. He has authority over nature, walking on the water, calming the storm at sea, Mark 4.41. He has the authority to regulate Sabbath observance, Mark 2, verse 28. He said himself, of himself, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So he directs us on which day to worship him. Even in his title, it's always the Son of God. Never a Son of God. I've heard people say that. Jesus is the Son of God. I'm the Son of God too. What's so different about him? It's always the Son of God in the scriptures. Never a Son of God. Peter said, you are the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're right. You're right, Peter. Blessed are you. Have you ever noticed, reading the Gospels, when people come up to Jesus and they're calling him Rabbi or Rabbanai or, or Lord, he's never embarrassed. He's never like self-effacing and saying, oh, no, 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 just, just call me Jesus. You never see that. That's because he is the Son of God. He's the Lord Almighty. He has the authority to curse and condemn and to judge in all holiness and righteousness. We saw that the last couple Sundays. The fig tree, the temple, symbolizing other things. And he also has the authority to forgive sins and grant eternal life. In Mark chapter 2, verse 10, he showed them, he showed them that he has the power and authority to forgive sins, Jesus himself, and to give eternal life, because that's what comes with the forgiveness and washing away of sins. Some of you may have um, run across the now classic, I would say now classic, um, clip of Alistair Begg, um, I think it was a, maybe a Resurrection Day sermon uh, recently. But um, just to summarize it really quickly, he's imagining the thief on the cross in heaven. And just 
people asking him, how'd you, how'd you get here? You know, and, and uh, his answer was, well, there were three of us on the cross, and the one in the middle said, I could come, and that's why I'm here. And so that is uh, just a, a, an illustration of the authority of Jesus Christ himself to grant eternal life. For us, I have uh, just a, a few applications here, and these are not the only applications, but one thing is for the church, our church, FBC. Who is the authority and head of our church? And who is the Lord of Faith Bible Church? Who determines our mission and our purpose and our theology and our doctrine and our worship? Obviously, Jesus is the head. Jesus Christ. And he's the good shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. And I, as a pastor here, am an under-shepherd of him. We operate, we minister, we worship, we serve, we preach, we teach, we equip, we evangelize according to Jesus' word, what he says to do, how he says to do it. Jesus is the one that we learn from. In other words, I and we don't question his authority, we don't doubt him, <laughs> we thank him, and we don't think that, that we're going to come up with something that's better than what he has laid out for us in scripture. If, for example, for example, uh, seeker-friendly sermons which water down the gospel and biblical teaching. And that's, that's not a better idea than, than this. Trying to entertain people with messages and methodology to keep them at church so they don't leave. And to, to look and dress like the world and wear you know, designer sneakers to make people feel we are hip and trendy. Compromises with the world on social issues, which are really spiritual issues. Marriage, sanctity of life, what real justice is, roles of male and female in the church and home, etc. A faith Bible church will be faithful to the Bible which equates to being faithful to God, which equates to being faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we will follow His authority and with prudence, with wisdom, with prayer, with love, with patience, and we leave the results to Him. For each of us individually, and that's kind of church corporately, how about us individually? I ask you, who is the authority over your life, over your heart this morning? Is it Jesus or is it self? Is there, is there competition? Is there struggles going on there? For most of us, there are some struggles in various areas. But who's the Lord of your life? Is it Jesus' words and commands and promises that you adhere to? Or is it your wants, your desires, your way? There's many, many areas of life, obviously. Let me just throw out a few. And how, how to make money, what to do with your money. And this was a, a sore point with the, the Sanhedrin here, I remind you. And maybe it's a sore point with some of us. How to spend the time. 
Someone could argue that time is even more valuable than money and more cherished than money. Who's the Lord of the time that you spend, the 24 hours, 168 hours in a week? Who's in charge of your social media choices? Who's in charge of your clothing choices? Who's in charge of your relationship choices? Are you considering a, a boyfriend? Are you considering a girlfriend? Who's your authority on that one? Career choices, job choices, church involvement, church service choices. Again, is it, is it Jesus' commands and his teachings and his promises? I, I'm, I'm quick to, to point to the promises because once again, when we trust and obey Jesus, is it a, is it a different world in here? and out there. How about submission to the authorities that God, Jesus, has placed in your life? Okay? So just think about it. Government, our wonderful California government. Work, how is your heart, how is your attitude at work towards your bosses, your supervisor, your manager, your employers? Children to your parents, church members to your pastor and elder, students to your teachers and professors. Okay. What is your, who is the Lord there? Okay. Who, is, who is the authority? What is your heart attitude towards these authorities that God has placed in your life? Most people these days don't respond well to the authority of the Bible, the authority of Jesus Christ. They don't want to listen to the word preached and taught. They don't want to obey the commands of Scripture, don't want to submit themselves to the authority of pastors and elders in the church. Their mindset is this, nobody's going to tell me what to do, or why do people have to be in my business? The old story goes of two dear old southern ladies who are sitting together in church listening to the preacher. When this preacher con condemned the sin of stealing, these two cried out, Amen, Amen. When the preacher condemned the sin of lust, they yelled again, Preach it, Pastor. When the preacher condemned the sin of lying, they almost jumped onto their feet, Right on, preacher, tell it like it is, Amen. But when the preacher condemned the sin of gossip, the two got very quiet. One turned to the other and said, he's quit preaching, now he's meddling. And without saying it, here's what a lot of folks think. And I'll listen to the parts that I want to hear. I'll listen to what I want to listen to. Or they're, they're constantly pointing the finger at other people, ooh, that, this person really needs to hear this sermon today. <laughs> it's all about other people. Or people who are on the fence of Christianity or not, I'll read the Bible and I'll have it say what I, I want it to say. It doesn't apply to my marriage relationship or to my work situation or my parenting. It doesn't apply to my attitudes, my relationships with people. It doesn't apply to when things go sour and bad in life. It doesn't apply to every area, just the ones I need help with. Sadly, pretty much this is many people's attitude towards Jesus. Okay? Even some who come to church on Sunday. I will live my life 
the way I think best. They won't say it out loud, but that's the way they're living. They're more adherence to singer Billy Joel. I don't care what you say anymore. This is my life. Go ahead with your own life. Leave me alone. So here's, here's the big problem with that, folks. You cannot have a sanctified life. And the life of abundance, of buried fruit, of joy, peace, contentment, security, the life that Jesus Jesus promises to every believer, okay, the life that, that you should want. You cannot have that life without embracing Jesus' authority over every area of it. It's like asking God for all the blessings of the Christian life while living in disobedience to Him. It's like a, a guy that claims to be a Christian, goes to church, sometimes makes the Bible study, serves here and there, but He's in an immoral relationship with a non-believing girlfriend. Okay, who's the authority in his life? But then he wonders, why aren't these blessings that are promised in the Bible and in the Christian life coming to me? Why, is, why are things going wrong in my life? And later this leads to, am I even a Christian at all? And let me, let me say, Sinclair Ferguson has a good quote, which I, I, I shared before, but I'll do it again. High degrees of assurance cannot be enjoyed by those who persist in low levels of obedience. And, and I'll, I'll add to that. High degrees of, of um, Christian joy and Christian happiness cannot be enjoyed by those who persist in low levels of obedience. And Jesus would have you lifted up to that place of security, of assurance, of peace, of joy, which he promises. Okay? Not, not to be silenced, not to be exposed, not to be put to shame. He would have you not silenced, but singing for joy, actually. He would have you not exposed, but revealed with him in glory. He would have you not be put to shame, but free from shame. <laughs> After all, he's already bore all the shame of your sins on the cross. So we're free. Acknowledging and embracing Christ's authority over your life and heart is critical to attaining the fruitful Christian life. So dear Faith Bible Church family, is the Lord Jesus in charge of your life? Okay, when I say in charge of, I, I don't mean Jesus is my co-pilot, right? I'm driving and sitting in the passenger seat. Okay, or even he's, he's driving the car. And he's driving the car and I'm, I'm in the trunk and the trunk is locked. It's like, go wherever, Lord. As he asserts with the Sanhedrin here in Mark, just a few days before being hung on the cross, he says, answer me. Answer me. You can't have the sanctification that Jesus offers without the authority that he commands. And this will lead over into our next point. Okay? You can't have the sanctification, you can't even have salvation that Jesus offers without the authority that he commands. Our third point is this. The Lord challenges 
unbelievers' beliefs. Okay, so unbelievers challenge the Lord, right? Well, now we're getting to the part where it says the Lord challenges unbelievers' beliefs. So he asked them in verse 30, in all grace and truth, was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? His question regards John the Baptist. Was, was the Baptist ministry from heaven, from God? A ministry, a teaching, a doing from God above? Or was it the doing and ministry of teaching of a mere human? As we know, John the Baptist was a prophet, kind of a wild man out there, who boldly called the people to repentance. He called out corruption and immorality without blinking. He pointed people to the Messiah. That was his role, that was his job. Clearing the path for the greater one, the Lord Jesus himself. So these Sanhedrin, religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, all of them, they rejected John the Baptist. They refused to acknowledge his ministry and truly repent of their sins. So they go to him for repentance and he says, Who are you, you brood of vipers? Bear fruit in, in accordance with repentance. If they truly repented, they would have recognized from the start that John the Baptist was making the way for the Messiah who they're talking to right now. So Jesus challenges them on their belief about this important prophet of God who they should have recognized from the Old Testament scriptures. And they're trapped. They're trapped in their wrong beliefs. Right? Look at verses 31 to 33. They began reasoning among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he'll say, then why did you not believe him? Shall we say from men? They were afraid of the people. Everyone considered John to have been a real prophet. So in a somewhat comical scene, in these distinguished, esteemed leaders had to huddle up and figure this one out. Right? If we say from heaven, he's going to say, why did you believe him? And this was true. Right? Because again, they didn't, they didn't repent. They didn't believe. They did not follow John the Baptist, who was making the way for people to see the Messiah to know the Messiah. And then they say, if we, to one another, if we say he's from men, then people are going to have a problem. They all believe John's a prophet. And in Luke 20, verse 6, if we say from men, the people will stone us to death. And that's how great their fear was. And this was also true, because it's actually what they in their rebellion and pride believed. They had convinced themselves somehow that John was just a man, and not a prophet of God. But his stuff, his doing, his ministry, his baptism, was a merely human endeavor. John the Baptist was just some wilderness wacko. We'll let Herod take care of this guy. And they feared the people more than they feared God. Interestingly, even the fickle crowds, right, the lay people recognized somehow, that John the Baptist was from God. In the Sanhedrin, they didn't want the mob against them. <coughs> so answering Jesus, they, they, they take the safe route, I guess. They say, we don't know. After that huddle up, they, they break, they say, uh, we don't know, we don't have an answer for you. So, once again, as we try to apply these things, Jesus, as Lord God, who knows the hearts of men, he challenges 
the beliefs of unbelievers. And that's what he's doing here. So one might question Christianity's teaching, the Bible's teaching on, on many, any number of things, many points of, of doctrine. One might question the Bible's teaching on the exclusivity of Christ, that he is the only way for anyone to get to heaven. So then all that question immediately pops up, right? Well, what about people who never heard of him? That's, that's millions and millions and millions of people. So that can't be right. Okay? So, I think we need to be reminded that there's, there's such a thing as honest questioning and wanting to know the mind of God and wanting to know the truth and asking and humbly accepting what God, as we continue to learn and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for the glory of God. There's that. But we also need to be careful once again that we're questioning the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus challenges our beliefs, especially those of who are unbelieving. He might ask you this, do you think you know more than I do about what happens to people when they die? Are, are you in charge of that? need to seriously consider this morning, and maybe it's not that, that question, okay, but, but what beliefs of yours today do not line up with what Jesus says is right and true? And for many of us, it's, it's not, or some of us here at Faith Bible Church, it's not necessarily doctrinal, theological things, but it's, it's, um, it's methodological or it's practical, and it's uh, life things. What beliefs of yours today do not line up with what Jesus says is true and right? Some of you might be aware of Jonathan Edwards. He made resolutions. Uh, I think he was a mere teenager when he did that. And resolution number 11, he, he wrote, Resolved, when I think of any theorem in divinity to be solved, immediately to do what I can towards solving it, if circumstances don't hinder. In other words, if there's anything that he, he has wrong in his theology, or things that he has a question about, he's resolved to immediately try to figure it out, immediately go to God's word and, and solve it. If circumstances don't hinder. I thought that was cute. Okay? If, uh, you know, I don't know if dinner or something, I don't know. But anyway, point is this, Jesus is the authority on all matters of life and eternal life. And he lovingly challenges us in our beliefs so that we would submit to his wisdom, his knowledge, his grace, his truth, his love. And this is part of what it is to come to faith in Jesus Christ. If anyone confesses with his mouth Jesus as Lord, you are under his authority. Every area every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You cannot have salvation that Jesus offers without the authority that he commands. And we're going to conclude with our final point here. This is super short. But the last part of verse 33 says, After they say, I don't know, we don't know, Jesus says to them, Nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. 
the Lord is the final authority. He's the final authority. He always keeps his word. As the one who has all authority in himself and given by the Father, he answers to no one here. They don't, they can't answer, he says, and he doesn't. He won't answer them. We hear today a lot, I think, of the importance of being on the right side of history. Has anyone heard that? Right? So whatever social issue it is, whether it's issues of sexuality or homosexuality or LGBTQ or, or racism or ethnicity and all that, we want to be on the right side of history. I want to make sure that we're on the right side of eternal life. Be on the right side of eternal life. The Sanhedrin had a hard time with Jesus' question because they rejected his authority. And so far they were on the wrong side of eternal life. So we might find ourselves in circumstances and situations in life. We might need to make a choice between right and wrong, truth and error. But we need to be careful who we're associated with. Sometimes unbelievers, doubters, atheists, agnostics, and when I say people we're associated with, I mean even social media that we're associated with, that we're constantly exposed to. We need to be careful, lest we do what they do, we conform to what they're doing, molded by the image of the world rather than the image of Christ. You might end up on the wrong side of eternal life and choose the wrong authority. And the question is, what are you going to say to Jesus when you see him? Because you will see him. He promises it. You will see him on the day of judgment. What are you going to answer when he asks you, why didn't you follow me? Why didn't you embrace my authority over you? My friends, my, my co-workers, all that stuff I was watching on, on my phone, you know, none of those people, none of those things are going to be with you when you're standing before the Lord on Judgment Day. There's no higher or better authority than Jesus. You can read Colossians 1, 15 through 18 on your own time this week. Okay, so your feelings, my feelings, your spirit, my spirit, my experiences, your experience, none of that trumps the authority and supremacy of Jesus Christ. So we must know who we're dealing with. He's the final authority. Capital F, capital A. Philippians 2.11, we know this verse well, right? Every knee is going to bow every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord into the glory of God the Father. Let's learn from Him and submit to Him. He has nothing but our best in His heart for us. And let's pray. God, we thank You for Your challenging word and conviction your spirit brings to our souls. I pray, Lord, that as we are humbled and bowed down before you, that we believe you are going to be true to your promise to raise up the humble, to exalt those who are meek. That you promise rest for those who take 
your yoke upon them and learn from you, the one who is gentle and humble in heart. Help us, God, to submit our lives and our hearts in every area of it, every nook and cranny, to the Lord Jesus, who is the servant who rules and the ruler who serves. Thank you for your love for us, God, in your Son, Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for sinners like us. We praise you and thank you. In Jesus' strong name, amen.